Hi, I'm Pastor Nick with Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us in our online service. If you're interested, we also offer in-person service every Sunday morning at 1030. We have Wednesday night activities for youth, kids, and college age every Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And there's food there. So, now, let's see what the pastor has to say. Not, uh, it's there. Uh, and we thank God for that. The abundant grace that he shows us, the mercy that is his, and the fact that we are recipients of that, undeserving as it is in our lives. I know how it is in mine. Uh, this morning, uh, there's three points I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Someone died in order for us to be alive. We wouldn't be alive if that hadn't happened. And finally, we should just let our hearts do their thing. Years ago, almost 20 years ago to date now, I heard a report on National Public Radio of a story about a lady named Rebecca, <clears throat> excuse me, Ridgeway. Rebecca had had a heart transplant. That was the story. She didn't used to do that kind of thing. When she was a student, she ran track and field. She was in good shape. She worked, she did all kinds of things. But then when she found one day with a congenital heart disease, she wasn't able to do the things that she could do. It became necessary for her to add herself to the organ transplant list. In the process, she had that done when she was 27 years old. Uh, and it changed her life completely. Because now the heart that had been in her heart for all those years, for 27 years, was gone. And it had been replaced by something different something alien. I would tell you this, as I remember the story, what happened with her that first year that she had the replacement done, her body rejected the heart six times. One of those occasions, her daughter Sarah, who was a two at the time, went to the hospital with her in the ambulance as the doctors sought to revive her and keep her alive. The problem with her heart was that her body was not ready for it. In our lives, there's a recognition that we need to have hearts that are changed, not by us, by God himself, as he comes in and makes the transplant that we need. We don't need to have restored hearts. We don't need to have renewed hearts. We need to have transplanted hearts. It's the very heart of God living within us. That's the message that Becky was learning through that process of the transplant that she went through. And she struggled with that continually. And she did all kinds of things to try to make things right. But the harder that she seemed to try to make things right, seemed to her, the more difficult things became. Until one day, she made this decision. She made the decision that she was going to accept the heart that was in her. What brought her to that point was as she stood before the bathroom mirror she saw the scars that had been left on her chest those scars were a reminder of what had happened to her of the fact that her life had changed completely and that her heart had been removed and a new heart of a teenage girl from Alabama had been placed in the life of this woman from Minnesota. 
God calls each of us to recognize what it means to have that heart of ours transplanted. That our hearts are no longer ours, but are His. That we live for Him. That we yield our lives to Him. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you heard that message. Isn't that right, Susan? We heard the message about what it means to have a yielded heart. Where we take what God has given us and we say, Here, God, this is my heart. You take care of it. You use it. You change it. You make it yours. You take my life. You take my heart. You take my all. And you make my life your life. And what happens to us? The same thing that happened to Becky. Time and time again, our bodies seek to reject that which God has placed within us. And we struggle with those things, those issues that are ours, time and time again, not having the faith that we're called to have, not having the lives that we're called to have, and doing the things that we desire, not what God would desire. So there's a point in time where each of us, beginning, I would say, right this moment, for each of our lives, because I've told you this time and time again, any message I share with you, God has shared this message with me first, saying, Bob, evaluate your life and see where you are in your relationship with me. Is it all about you or is it all about me? If you have a heart trance, you can't transplant, you cannot do it on your own. I have a pen knife someplace, probably not in my pocket right now, but you've never seen anybody try to do a self-heart transplant, and yet what do we do? We try to make things right on our own. We try to make our heart the way we think it's supposed to be, or maybe the way we think people are telling us it's supposed to be. When all along what it is, it's, it's a matter of God taking what was the old and making it the new in our lives. And as Nyla, as you were raised, did you, you didn't see it. We did. We watched you. You tried to cover up your face, but it didn't any good. We knew it was you. We knew it was you. But you know what? Did, did you see it? Remember, folks, this is what happened. She was buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. All the old things that we've done are forgiven. It doesn't mean that we're not going to still mess up. It doesn't mean that we're not going to still fail. It doesn't mean that everything is going to work out perfectly in our lives. What it means is that baptistry is a picture of what it means to be reborn. With a new heart, a new life, new prospects, a new being. I don't like to use that word alien too often, but that's what we are in this world. We are aliens, not of this world, in it, but not of it. Jesus' disciples tried to figure out what this was all about in their relationship with him. <clears throat> and we see in Matthew chapter 20, if you have your Bibles open there, and there's a message that's there for us that we see in James and John's lives. What happens is the disciples have come up with a plan, James and John, and their mother, I might add, Salome, has probably been a part of this. And here's the message. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down and asked a favor of him. What is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand when your kingdom comes. 
Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? James and John are the ones, I don't think that, that mom said this, James and John are the ones that said, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from the cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by the Lord. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the brothers. Jesus called them together and said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life is a ransom for many. Real quickly, I want you to look at those, leave that up for just a second, guys. I want you to look at those two words, particularly in verse 28. There's a message of what it means for us to be what God intends us to be. And did you hear what it is? What was it that Jesus was trying to communicate <clears throat> to John and James? The idea that they had was ruling, reigning, being important people, becoming people that are uh, noticeable, uh, and the uh, people that people come to because you have all the answers. Jesus said, no, that's not the case. And he uses those two words, I think, purposefully. You know what? In the Greek, they mean almost the same thing. What it means is to serve a master. That first word they use is the word diakonos. And I've told you this before. I love the image of that. It's the image of someone kicking up the dust. The message behind that is the servant is always there at the master's call to listen to him, to do what he tells us to do, and to go where he tells us to go, and we do his bidding. That is the job that is ours. That is the responsibility that is ours, to serve the master and to serve others through him, that the world might see his love, his life, and his hope in what we say and do. The other word is the Greek word doulos, and that is the word for slave. In the King James, it probably says bond servant. I have my grandparents, I've told you all this before, I have their wedding certificate from the 1800s. You know what it has around the outside of that picture with the faded ink? It has a chain. Now, if you're here this morning and you think that that's what marriage is about, being chained to somebody, that's the message that Jesus is trying to convey to us. That we are bound to someone. That there is nothing that can break that bond. There is nothing that can break that relationship because we are bound to them in life. That is the message of what it means to understand Jesus' call for every one of us who are here this morning, that we understand that we serve him with all our hearts, with all our lives, and we serve others by and through him. Those that are in the body and those who are outside. We do that. I see people doing that at Grace every day. People sharing their faith. People, these students that we have, it's an amazing thing what's going on in their lives through God's grace and the message 
that all those workers that were up here last Sunday shared with you. A message of what it means to tell students about the love of Jesus Christ. And it's not about coming to church. It's about knowing what that personal relationship is all about. About understanding the bonds that are ours. And that the love of Christ is in us and works through us and everything we say and do. And the world knows and experiences what our relationship with him is all about and the things that we say and do. That we're living our lives for him in such a way that the world sees the evidence of what that reality is all about. The love of Christ showing, I, I, I use the term oozing out of us, that doesn't sound very pleasant, uh, but, but the message is pretty simple. But James and John didn't get it. What was their attitude? What was their idea? I want to sit on the right. Don't you remember? I think, I think James and John probably, mom didn't want to be the one to say which one. I want John on the right and James on the left. I'll let you decide that, Jesus. But I think James and John probably argued about it. Do you ever find in your life that that's what you think life is all about in your relationship with Jesus? That I'm seated beside him? John didn't get it figured out. But he did get it figured out. If you have your Bibles, turn to the other John 3.16. That is 1 John 3.16. Listen to what he says. 1 John 3.16 and following. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Do you think John figured it out? Do you think John understood what that message that Jesus was trying to share with those disciples was all about? <clears throat> it's not about sitting on the right or left. It's not about standing on the stage. It's not about singing in the choir. It's not about working in a Sunday school class. It's not about teaching kids. It's about understanding that our lives have been yielded to Jesus Christ completely. And that we are bound to him and in that binding and in that bond that we have with him, we have no other choice than to share the message of Christ's love with those people that we see every day. It ought to come through us naturally in everything that we do. I see it, there you go, I see it in Bill's life as he opens the door for the people that are coming to the food pantry on Thursday mornings. There is always a smile on his face. There's always that readiness. I see it in Anita's face as she greets those people down there. <sighs> we see it in each of our lives that not just in words, not just through our tongues, but by the things that we do. It happens in schools. Those people that you see, that you know, are there all by themselves. And you have that opportunity to be there with them and for them to say something to them, 
Just to speak to them makes a difference in their lives. At work, at home, neighbors, that we have that opportunity every day to let people know what our relationship with Jesus is all about. That people might see that and hear it and know it because it's a change that's come in us. And that change has come not because of something that we've done, but simply because of what God has done. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Someone died in order for you to be alive. If you're here this morning and know Christ, you wouldn't be alive if it hadn't happened. And you should just let your new heart do its job. So what work does Christ's servants do? The way we serve him, the things that we do, uh, servants, slaves, did all kinds of things. Things maybe that they didn't want to do. Things that they desired to stay away from, to try to avoid. In Matthew 25, 37, Jesus shares a pretty simple message to us about what it means for us to live for him. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you something to eat? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. Who are you serving? Who is Jesus telling us we're serving when we're serving others? The message was pretty simple for the disciples. They saw him identify, show them obviously what it was about. When Jesus took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around him, and began to wash their feet, what was the message he had for them as he left them that day? Now that I, your teacher and your master, have done this for you, blessed are you if you do what? Do it for one another. Do likewise. Do it for each other. Do it. You know, sometimes as Southern Baptists, we, we miss that idea. Thank God for the Free Will Baptists. They haven't lost that. In North Carolina, that Free Will Baptist stands for foot washing Baptist, all right? But the message is pretty simple. Jesus commanded us to do that. Why do you think he did it? Because too many Southern Baptists are so hot up about what we're about that we know the way, the truth, and the life, and it's through Southern Baptist churches. There's not one soul that's been saved by a Southern Baptist church. It's been saved by the, the same Lord that gave his life for us. And all we are called to do is to share that message faithfully that people would understand how do we do that? You just heard it. That's the thing that is so confusing for so many people. We just heard what Jesus said. Feed people when they're hungry. Give them water when they're thirsty. Clothe them when they don't have any clothes. Visit with them when they're in prison, when they're sick. Make a difference in people's life for my name's sake. And then don't just do it and run. You tell them the why behind you, why you've done it. I've done this for the glory of God. Simon's sitting back here a couple of Sundays ago. I've told you all this, but I'm going to tell you one more time. I've never done that. I told Simon that. I've never done that before. I never had anybody translate behind me. But as I watched the Hispanics that were in our room downstairs, and I watched the people that spoke English that were there, as I shared with the folks that spoke English, 
you could see the understanding that came to them of why. Because we, you know what we did? That passage that we just read, that message that we just heard in Matthew 25, I explained to them, that's why we do it. That's why Grace Baptist Church has a food pantry and clothing bank. We don't have any choice but to do it. And we do it. And then to have Simon try to figure out what I said in Spanish, he did it very faithfully. I saw him do that because I could see the aha moment on the faces of those people that did not understand English. That aha moment when they thought, oh, this is, you're not just giving away food. You're not just giving away clothes. You're giving away the good news. It's the good news of what God has done for each of us. And that is the testimony that we're to share with people that the world would know and see that Jesus Christ is real and in us. Paul explained it to the churches of Galatia this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness should be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Do you understand what Paul was telling the churches of Galatia? That the things that we do, we don't do those things in order to get something out of them. We do it because we don't have any other choice than to do what Christ has called us to do. Why? Because in this heart, no longer beats that of Bob Fulkerson. It's the heart of Jesus Christ. That is what he desires from us. That we would understand that our lives have been yielded to him. That's what Paul is saying to the Galatians. He says it to each of us today, that we look at our lives and see where we stand. Are you living your life for yourself? Are you living your life for Christ? You are, had a preacher tell me this years ago, each believer here today is the best example of what it means to a Christ, be a Christian to someone in your life. And when they think about a Christian, they think about you. That ought to be a stop moment for each one of us that we are living examples of Christ's love. We are living examples of Christ's forgiveness. We are living examples of Christ's mercy and grace, that we are living examples of the good news of what Christ has done in us. There's a call for each of us to recognize that relationship is ours for one reason and one reason alone. Peter understood it. He said so in 1 Peter 2, 24. <clears throat> he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I think of Be Becky Ridgway looking in that mirror and seeing that scar. Every time you look in the mirror, you ought to see that cross. We ought to see the cross on which Christ died. A constant reminder to us, a reminder when we take the Lord's Supper, a reminder when someone is baptized, 
a reminder in our lives every day that someone died for us, that Jesus Christ gave his life for us because of his love, and that without him, we do not have life, for we live in him. That's the message that we've seen through God's word as we've been going through these passages. And we just need to let our hearts do what Christ would have them do. We already know that. We already know what we're supposed to be doing. We just need to be about it living daily for him. Paul gave his life to Jesus Christ as a slave and a servant. He died in that relationship. He gave it all. We don't know about Paul's death so much. We just know he knew he was going to it. And he wasn't afraid to because he knew what Christ had called him to be. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, a heart that was yielded to him. That message he shared was a life of what it means for us to understand the gift of God. God called other people. He called those deacons, those diakonoses, all right, in the church in Jerusalem. In Acts, 27, Acts 6, verse 3, I want you to listen to what the heart of them was about. Those, those who were called out by the church in Acts 6, 3, brothers choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and the wisdom. We will turn this responsibility, that is, the feeding of the widows, over to them and give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, and so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There's a message that's there for each of us. What are the two keys to this relationship for our hearts? The essential is that God's Holy Spirit is working in our lives. How do you know how can we be sure that God's Spirit is within us? If we're not exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, He's not there. Love, here's back, we're back with the church in Galatia. Love, joy, peace, patience. That's a hard one, isn't it? Don't ever ask God to teach you patience, because He will the nature of those gifts is the nature of Christ's heart within us. That's how the world sees and knows, but how do we know? If you find yourself always seeming to be struggling with the decisions that you make, it's probably a good thing for you to stop and think a second time about who, whose heart beats within you. Years ago in Texas, we had a friend that had a rock washer. Sorry about that, Robert. And I would drag Karen down there in the middle of summer and I'd climb all around looking for things. This rock stood out to me. 
Rhyolite, I think, has some, has some crystalline stuff in it. So it's, a, it's an igneous rock, from what I understand. There's nothing really special about it. Everybody sees it. What do you have that rock for? This rock is about the same size as my heart. It's not shaped like this. It's like this. If my heart looks like this, if my rock feels like this, if my rock heart has this kind of consistency, the Holy Spirit is not a part of me. If I can't forgive people the way that Christ forgave me, if I can't minister to people the way that Christ has ministered to me, I need to stop and ask God to transplant my heart, to make it new again, that God would rebuild in me that spirit that is his, that life that is his, that hope that is his, to be able to see that same attitude in the lives of the people around me, that everyone would know that Jesus Christ is the source and the hope of who I am and what I'm about. There's a message behind us, a message of what it means to know that truth in a song that a man wrote years ago, James Small. Let me see if you've got time. Oh, we'll make it quick. Look over in your hymnals if you've got one. Hymn 183. I think it's the right page. I'll go ahead and start. You'll find it. Listen to these words written in 1866 by a Scottish man. I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love. And what did he do? Thus he bound me to him. That sound familiar to you? And round my heart still closely twine those ties which not can sever. For I am his and he is mine forever and forever. I found a friend, oh such a friend. He bled, he died to save me. And not alone the gift of life, but his own self he gave me. Not, I have, not that I have my own, I call. I owe it for the giver. My heart, my strength, my life, my all are his and his forever. I found a friend, oh such a friend, so kind and true and tender, so wise a counselor and guide, so mighty a defender. From him who loves me now so well, what power my heart shall sever, shall life or death or earth or hell. No, I am his forever. This morning, if you're here and you feel more of this and less of this, stop and evaluate your relationship with the Savior that gave his life for you. Understand the mercy and the grace and forgiveness that he shared with you. And you work to share that same life with those you know and love. The same passion with those you don't know.
as you look for those who do not know the hope that you have. Please join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you this day for the gift of life and hope that Jesus Christ seeks to bring in our lives. Father, there are times in my life where I just need to stop and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for the failures that are for my, are mine. Forgive me for the, the lack of desire in my heart that is mine. Forgive me uh, for all the things that I should be doing I'm not doing and all the things I shouldn't be doing that I am doing. Father, forgive me, but you help me to recognize how that forgiveness comes. It comes through the blood and sacrifice of your son for me, for he died for me. He died for me that I might live for you, and in living for you that I might share that message faithfully with people that need to know what it means to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, help each one of us in this room who are believers to do that. And if there's one here today that's never made that claim, my prayer would be, Father, that you would help them simply to pray this prayer. Father, please forgive me. I recognize the sin that's in my life. I know my failures. I know my mistakes. But, Father, I entrust them all to you in the name of Jesus. And I claim him as my Lord, which is the hard thing to do. For where he sins, I'll go. What he says, I'll do. I'll live my life for him as a living testimony that he is Lord of my life, but he is also Savior, for he has given himself for me. And I trust him now, at this moment, at this time, on January 28th at 1145, I take Jesus as mine, and I am his. Help us, Father, to look at our lives and see where we stand in our relationship with you. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to another service with Grace Baptist Church. If you would like to contact us, all of our information is available on our website, gbcevansville.org. You can also contact us through all of our various social media accounts. Or you could just give us a call. We'd love to hear from you.